0: You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin.
1: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Ordinary. We are so glad to have you here this week, and I am very thankful. We have a great friend of mine, Lauren Pearson, on the show today. Lauren is the founder of Somerset Advisories in Birmingham, Alabama, as well as a co-founder of The Wealth Edit, which is a community of women teaching other women how to be good with money. She and her co-founder, Emily Lasseter, also just published The Wealth Edit guidebook. It is out on Amazon now, and it's already a number one bestseller. And I am so thankful I was one of the first people to get copy of that on my Kindle. And Lauren, I am such a Kindle nerd. So I am going to be the first to actually ask you to sign my Kindle. So we're going to do that at the (laughs) end of the show here. So far, I've always been the first person to ask an author to sign their Kindle. And they're like, well, how do I do this? And they like get their finger out to draw. I'm like, oh, no, no, you just type. So it's, you know, it's really, really boring. But I figure someday my kids are going to inherit that digital content and they're going to go in there and see just dozens, if not hundreds of books where authors have written a little note and they'll be able to see that. It'll be kind of personalized content. So anyway, awesome. we are so glad to have you on the show. Thank you for being here today.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be on here with you, Tommy.
1: Well, you are such a dear friend. You know, it's incredible. It's one of those connections. We got connected because of the industry that mm-hmm. we're you know, so blessed to be in. And Lauren I want to start there. Our listeners love hearing people's stories of how they became so successful. And you know, did you grow up as a little kid thinking, "Oh, one day I'm going to go out and be this like powerhouse wealth advisor?" Or did that come later?
0: No, I wanted to be like a broadcast journalist on TV. That was what I grew up. My little girl dreams included journalism and not finance.
1: Well, how did that pivot occur?
0: Yeah, well, so I actually carried that dream through college. I went to the University of Georgia, and the reason I chose Georgia was for their journalism school. And then after school, I moved to D.C. with some friends and fell in love with my husband. We got married, and he said, you're moving to Beaufort, South Carolina, which, if you're familiar, it is a town of about 12,000 people on the coast of South Carolina. So quickly, my journalism dreams were crushed for a moment.
1: Buford's not a top 100 market.
0: (laughs) No, it is not a top 100 market. But it's a beautiful place to live. It is right on the coast and it's always, you know, America's favorite city or, you know, all those awards.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, and now you're in Birmingham and that's got to be a little difficult for somebody who went to Georgia.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely Alabama territory. I remember the first time, When I moved here, I had like this houndstooth sweater I would wear and everyone would come up and say, roll tide. And it took me about two weeks to realize that's just not going to be in the wardrobe anymore. Yeah. Not as a Georgia fan, at least.
1: Yeah. And I have to think it'd be a little more fun if, you know, Georgia was kind of like every other year, you know, whipping up on Alabama. It's, It's a little bit like my friends who are Michigan fans, you know, when Michigan and Ohio State used to trade every other year. It was a lot more fun to be in that rivalry for, I think, for everyone. And then Ohio State goes on a tear. Alabama goes on a tear. And, you know, it just makes life a little less interesting.
0: So, Well, I will say I really enjoyed your state as Indiana when I went to the national championship. Y'all treated us so well. And I went to move there and be a farmer. So we might be having a different podcast next year.
1: Hey, you come on up anytime, anytime. That's great you know, journalism's not working out in Buford. It's not Mm -hmm. a top 100 market yet. Mm -hmm. And so somewhere along the line, there's a pivot away from journalism. So how did that happen?
0: Yeah, so if you move to a small coastal town, unless you are wealthy or a doctor or an attorney, there's very few professional jobs, you know? And I knew I wanted to work. I've been working since I was 15 years old. So I couldn't imagine life. Not having some sort of occupation or drive. I didn't have any children yet. And so financial advising kept coming up. It's like, hey, you should go be a financial advisor. And I was thinking, the only experience I have with investments and money is my dad, like ripping open a statement every month, like being kind of ticked off for like two days. I thought, this is just not seeming like my dream job, you know? But enough people, kind of told me, no, you should really pursue this. This is very much, you know, in line with who you are as a person. You're a great listener. You know, you know how to connect. And so basically, I just started interviewing all of the firms in town, which are totally different because this is September of 07. So, you know, it was Wachovia Securities. It was AG Edwards. It was Merrill Lynch. It was all these firms that, like, pretty much don't exist anymore. But I ended up, all my friends were AG Edwards, and I ended up going with Meryl Lynch because they had this fabulous woman who they connected me with. She lived in Hilton, and Buford are fairly close as the crowd flies. And so I said, I just want to learn under her and Meryl had a great training program at the time. So that was September of '07, seven and also the last peak of the market, you know, um, before the great recession. So it was really, I learned in the, the school of hard knocks, which is the good school.
1: So, you're telling me you started in the industry just as it was going into the Great Recession? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. It
0: was crazy. I mean, advisors, you just learn so much when you come into an industry at that time. When there's so much chaos, advisors would just walk out and quit. There were advisors that, you know, you would just learn so much about client behavior. And I didn't even really have any clients, any clients i received it because somebody else walked out, you know, and so they were just kind of stuck with this 27 year old who knew nothing, who was a journalism major. So that was sort of my start to the industry. But I ended up just learning so much about people and what they really needed and wanted because they were so vulnerable at the time, just wanting something different. And so what I learned is that while they wanted great investment management, what people really wanted is to feel safe and secure. And so I really went down the planning track. So I became a CFP. My fam at the time, uh, (laughs) well, right in the middle of that, I actually had my first baby. So that was like, you know, April of 2009, I had my first baby. So there's just a lot going on all at once.
1: And Listeners, when Lauren mentions the CFP, for those of you not familiar with industry terms, that's the certified financial planner. Think of it just like doctors pass their boards or CPAs pass their boards or attorneys pass their boards. In the financial advising profession, the CFP is really the boards that we have. The problem, and I've been talking about this for over a decade, the biggest problem in our industry is that unlike these other professions, our boards are optional. And that just blows my mind to this day. Lauren and I are part of this first kind of generation of advisors where we've really set the bar and said it should not be optional. And right now, you know, I'm sad to admit it's still less than 15 percent of advisors out there that have actually passed their boards. So when Lauren says that was a priority for her very, very early on, She was really showing her dedication to the professionalism of this industry, which I get a sideline view to see her other side on top of the professionalism is just this intense love and care for people. And so you put those two together and you know this thing's going to work and be off to the races. And so you have your child in the midst of this. You're starting in the midst of the Great Recession you want to take a planning focus, but you're with a firm. that That's kind of a brand new thought, if any. So pick up from there.
0: They were getting acquired by Bank of America at the time. Then, you know, fast forward, I have another baby two years later. And then we moved to Birmingham, Alabama. So we just had, and I will credit Bank of America Merrill Lynch it, through all of that. I mean, they were, they had a very good kind of early maternity Policy. I never felt stressed about that from a mayoral standpoint. Now, the other people in my office, that was a different story, but that's for another day. But we moved to Birmingham, and all of a sudden, I have all these clients on the coast of South Carolina and no clients in Birmingham, Alabama. But then we realized we were probably going to be in Birmingham for quite some time. So I felt the freedom once I moved to Birmingham to really look at where am I practicing? Is it in line with my internal standards of being a fiduciary for my client, those things just were not matching up. And so I took a lot of time to really look at who is out there, where can I practice? Because when you're when you start your practice at a Merrill Lynch, you know you have that scale and sophistication. They called it a warehouse for a reason. They had access to a lot of resources. Well then in 06, 06 07, 08, 09, there was this sort of disruption in the industry where technology caught up and there was a lot more access to the same resources. And so there were firms that emerged in that period of time that really tried to marry the scale and sophistication of a wirehouse firm with the responsibility of what's called a registered investment advisory firm where you have to take fiduciary responsibility. As a CFP, you have to take fiduciary responsibility. And that is, that means putting your interest as the client ahead of my own interest. That is extremely important. I think a lot of clients come to me because they like me and they trust me, but I wish all of my clients came to me because they knew I was taking fiduciary responsibility for them every day.
1: And listeners, we've talked about this in the past, but if you're new here, Just as a reminder, we really talk about two camps in the industry. And I'm not casting stones. There's a place for everything. Mm -hmm. But in the industry, in the wealth management industry as it stands today, everybody calls themselves an advisor. But they really go by very different roles. And one of the roles is what I'll call the better term is a broker. And their job Mm -hmm. is to go find products that are helpful to you. But it doesn't mean they have to go find products that are the best for you. There's a big difference there. There And whereas a fiduciary and a real advisor, as what Lauren's talking about, their role is ultimately to put themselves in your shoes and say, knowing everything I know about anything in the wealth management space, what is the best possible decision for this client or the best possible range of options but it's always to be putting the client front and center. And there's actually a legal distinction there that advisors Mm -hmm. have to do and CFPs have to do, but brokers do not. And so that's part of the rub in our industry. That's what Lauren's talking about. So when you hear her say the passion behind that, it's all about saying we in, you know, she and I fall in the same camp to say, if people knew the difference they would never come to a broker to help set up a comprehensive financial plan for their family.
0: Because you're just not going to get that. And especially we work with a lot of women. um, We're located in the southeast and there aren't many women advisors. So it's kind of like, you know, we are sort of the go to when you talk about women and money and at least our little ecosystem where we exist. But I think part of that is we just take the time and and Space to really, we always say at Somerset, relationships are inefficient. And we like them that way. Like we're going to do the steps that you need in order to get you where you need to go. Because ninety-five percent of women end up as financial head of household. A good majority of those are underprepared. There's some crazy stats, like only forty-seven percent of women use a financial advisor, and eighty-seven percent of women can't stand their financial advisor. So there's just like a lot of disconnects in the industry with women and money. And so I wanted to make sure that our practice really served the needs of women. Of course, serve. we always say we have the corner, like secretly, we have the corner market on like grumpy old men, but I really think it's because they really want to take great care of their wives and families too. And they know that we're going to do that.
1: I hear a longing from some of those grumpy old men that, <laughs> you know, I want to make sure if something happens to me that my wife and family are okay, especially if they've been more of the, you know, maybe taking more of the lead on the financial side. Yeah, like the
0: household CFO or something.
1: Yeah, when they're, when they're functioning more as the, the household CFO. And so Lauren, I know you, because you are so passionate about this, I know you've actually done some research to find out why is it that 80% of women feel such a disconnect from their financial advisor? So what are the causes of that?
0: Well, I mean, if you think about it, it's not so far back. I mean, women were first allowed to open a bank account in 1960. That seems crazy to me. And so the industry was really not set up for women to be a part of it. So it makes sense to me that there's a little bit of tension there. Like it's kind of like a round peg in a square hole. Now, every single firm on the planet is trying to solve for this, right? So like they'll do a pink website, they'll do a women's conference. Like they'll do all the things to try to make that work. But really it's that women's needs and wants around money and money, financial decision-making are pretty much polar opposite to how men think about it. So like to give you an example, when a man comes in and sees me for the first time and kind of lays everything out in front of me, he says, do I have enough? And when a woman does the same thing, she says, Am I going to be okay? Now, those two things, if you're not listening, may sound like the exact same thing, but they're not. They're totally different questions. And so we really try to like and the planning piece really helps with that. I mean, Tommy, you know this, too, that, you know, like the the planning adds an element to a relationship that can really help you feel so much more financially secure and safe you know, and we, we try to lead people really towards the planning. And of course, the investment management is extremely important. And we want to do that well, too. But the piece that often the industry misses is that planning piece, and really doing that extremely well, and at the same time, meeting the needs of women. So sometimes, you know, the planning with a man might be like, let's make sure I never pay this date tax ever, 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 you know, and for a woman, that might be like, I want to make sure that my children are also gonna feel the safety and security that I felt in my lifetime. You know, so it's really a different skill set sometimes.
1: Absolutely. Well, this is a perfect transition into the wealth edit and this really community of women that you and your partner Emily have helped launch and create, and it's just thriving. It's so fun for me to be on the sidelines and see just how this thing has just ballooned. It feels like overnight. But this has been a dream of yours for quite a while.
0: It has. When I moved, so my back office is now a company called Hightower Advisors, and basically they pair that scale and sophistication of a wirehouse with the responsibility of a registered investment advisory firm. And when I came on to Hightower, when I moved all my clients from Merrill Lynch to Hightower, we had this business consultant, and she said, "Let's not talk about who you want to serve. Let's talk about who you actually serve." And what we found is that the first group of people I served well and who were naturally inclined to come to me were attorneys, maybe because I'm very direct, maybe because I don't take up too much time. So they're billing every six minutes. It just works. So that was the first group. So I studied in 2017 attorneys, how they made money. And then in 2018, I basically shared this research. In 2019, we did the same exact thing with women. So it was a year of just studying, talking, having roundtables. We had hundreds of discussions with these women in different types of environments and just said, Hey, we know there's been a million studies on women and money. And we know you don't like to talk about it because it's tacky because it's taboo. Okay. We already know. So what beyond that, you know, like we're not going to pay millions of dollars because fidelity and everybody else already has. And they said, you know, it just, I go in the office and I feel comfortable. Like it was all these things. And you know, this is, my husband's buddy, like you'd hear all of these things. And what we realized is just, oh, the, relate, the the industry was just built for men by men. Now, I love men. I'm married to one and Tommy is one of my best industry friends. And so it just is the way that it is. And so what do we do to sort of work with that? And the other thing is, Somerset is a very small, I would say small practice. Like we're a boutique practice with a hundred families around about that we serve with several advisors. So it just, not every woman that would come in would be necessarily fit for Somerset, which also made me feel horrible because there was such a lack of information and true resources built for women in our industry. So we built the Wealth Ed, which is a community where basically we take our best practices from Somerset and what we learn from the field and we share them, but not just with, you know, every woman buy this course and you're gonna get, you know, all your financial dreams are gonna come true. It's not like that. What we realized is we learn best from one another and we're not all alike. And my business partner Emily and I are the perfect example of this. We often dress the same, we're at the same parties, we spend, you know, 12 hours a day together between Somerset and Wealth Edit. And on the surface, you would think socioeconomically we were very similar, but we're not. She lost her husband at age 37. And so she had to go from being a dual to single income household. That's totally different than my experience. And that's what we're missing. And so we've created, you go to wealthedit.com and you take this quiz. And it basically leads you through a series of fun questions to your financial personality, for lack of a better term. And then we've customized content tracks to fit this personality with all of the cases that we've seen doing hundreds of planning cases over the years, we kind of know, okay, if you're an entrepreneurial woman, these are some of the things you more than likely will run up against at some point in your lifetime. If you are, you know, a highly educated dual income woman, you might run into this path. If you are, if philanthropy leads your primary decisions around money, this is what this financially will look like for you at some point in your life. And so we've really built these six, we're we're introducing a seventh glide path this year. Her name is Fran. They all have different names, but she's a first generation wealth creator. What I realized through running the wealth edit for two years is that there weren't a lot of first generation wealth creators that came into our practice at Somerset. It was a huge hole that needed to be filled But we've now been able to fill that through the conversations that we're having with through the wealth edit. So it's been an exciting thing. It's been really, really fun to connect meaningfully with women. It's it's a hard project for us. I mean, we want to, to in some capacity, serve as many women as we can. But we can't do it all through Somerset. It just it doesn't work that way.
1: Got it. I absolutely love how you and Emily have really broken it down to give people a starting place that they have a comfort level with. We don't have time today to go into all seven of the personalities, but which has been maybe the most fun for you to work on?
0: Yeah, I think that the prim personality has just been so interesting. It's she's the one who's kind of been through some life changes that maybe she wasn't expecting. And I feel like that's the group of women at the wealth edit where you really see so much like passion and, and just willingness to contribute to the community because they've really been through something hard. And I think that's the other thing that, you know, it's funny, like we created this thing in March of 2000, 20. And then quickly we went into quarantine. And so we basically had to throw our business plan completely in the trash, like four days after we launched because we launched on International Women's Day. But what's been interesting is to like become this sort of like online financial ed tech firm when we're both over the age of 40. It kind of doesn't make any sense, except that I think what the gap that the wealth that it fills is that we're not just trying to sell a course and be like, oh my gosh, I saved $100,000 by the time you're 28, you know, because really a lot of life happens in your thirties and forties that you're not expecting. So like, while you might be able to retire at 28, all of a sudden you have two kids, you might have to go back to work or you're married and your husband passes away or you get divorced or all these things that happen in life that you're just not expecting. And I think that there's a real empathy that comes with the community of the wealth in it, because These are all women that have been through some things and are willing to share very kindly their experiences in like a safe and kind of secure environment. And it's why we don't really like promote like free Facebook groups. Like we really do think that you should there needs to be a barrier to the intimacy that's created in this community.
1: Lauren, what's been your most kind of rewarding experience with the Wealth Edit so far? Are there any stories that you've seen people's lives be changed because of this?
0: Yeah, it was, you know, I think the most special thing was when we first started, when we first had to throw that business clean in the trash, and all of a sudden we were an online community and we had no idea what we were doing. We didn't have the tech built that we needed to have built. I mean, it was really like flying by the seat of our pants. But I'll never forget this smaller group of founding members that just kind of leaned in to a very imperfect product and let us teach them very organically from the beginning. I mean, you never forget who brings you to the dance and like these women for sure did that. And one of the women she joined and she was in about a hundred thousand dollars of debt. And through just like our teaching, while we don't teach like debt, mm-hmm. snowballs and whatever, it was just the encouragement and you know, I don't use this word very much, but like just empowering nature of a group like that, where you feel intimately connected, that you can, it's a safe space to talk about money, to talk about what's really going on in your life. Within a year, she had paid down all of that debt. Then about six months later, she lost her job. And she said, you know what? I just wasn't afraid. Like when I lost my job, I just knew that I was going to be okay, and I knew what to do. And I think it's that confidence around money that's the main thing that you build at the Wealth Edit because we think you should use an advisor. You know, we want you to use an advisor, and it's more than likely not going to be Somerset. But we think it's so important this kind of, to fill in this gap, either in tandem with a financial advisory relationship that you already have that just feels kind of, clunky because you just need to build some financial confidence, you know, and then go back to that relationship and feel confident asking questions to your advisor. If something doesn't feel right, or before you even choose an advisor, just really like building up that knowledge that, so you go into a meeting and you say, yeah, I know everything that we're going to talk about here, you know, or if you don't, you can ask questions and you know, that's completely fine. So that was a cool story.
1: Well, I love your passion and it's, it's so easy to see it, Lauren. And maybe this is part of the difference you recognized quickly between your male clients and female clients. It sounds to me like you've recognized the key to success in your demographic is providing financial confidence.
0: Mm-hmm. It's really what I think that's all that's missing with women. I mean, I think I have a good story of this. I did not take a finance class in college. I think the closest defiance I got was statistics my freshman year. You know, I mean, it just now I think it's different. My daughters, it's like cool to be good at math. But when I was growing up, it was cool for women to be like English majors or whatever. And that's great. But I just felt that lack of confidence. And it wasn't until I was basically forced into a career that I knew nothing about and took that leap of faith that I was like, oh, I can learn about this. So, I mean, I feel like if I could do it, then any woman should be able to do it at any point in their life. And it's just never too late for a do-over. I mean, I think sometimes there's so much shame and self-consciousness around money, whether you have a bunch of money and you feel self-conscious about the fact that you have it, or you're the first person in your family to have money. And you maybe didn't learn the best money habits. It doesn't matter. I mean, there's still those like internal things that as women weren't, we're told we're not supposed to talk about and we need to because then we would realize oh wow we're all in to some degree a similar boat and that we just don't feel comfortable talking about this and we know we need to so you just you know through the well we've been able to build a community where it's like it is completely acceptable and celebrated to learn to be good with money
1: sounds like it's also acceptable to be vulnerable at the beginning that they're not good with money or they know very yeah. little or they're intimidated Buy it.
0: Right. And our community members end up teaching courses for our other community members. So we have one woman who's a first generation wealth creator. And I've never been so excited about a class that's going to be on the wealth edit, but it's writing your money story. Like she's the first person in her family to create wealth, to graduate from college. And she said, you know, this step of writing my money story has helped me more than anything else to kind of vision out what this is going to look like for her in the future. I can't wait to take that course. So anyway, it's
1: just fun. I love this so much, Lauren. I love this so much. We are going to move into my favorite part of the episode where I get to ask you two questions. So my first question is the question everybody wants to know. And what it really means, it's the question I want to know. (laughs) And so my first question for you, you made a statement earlier in the show. And if anybody was listening on like 2x speed or anything like that, they may have glanced right over it, but it was actually really powerful. So I'm going to ask you to unpack it. You said, we believe relationships are inefficient and we like them that way. Tell me more about what that means for you at Somerset and at The Wealth Edit.
0: We put relationships versus Somerset. and Early in my career, people said, Well, you're going to have to choose between the business and the work. You're going to have to choose between the business and the work. And I thought, How terrible is that? The way to get around that is just not to be worried about being the biggest advisor on whatever list comes out. You know, just doing well by a few families is actually for me more fulfilling than anything else. And the way to do that, you have to leave capacity in your schedule, in your day. For people to call and say, Oh, wow, the market's a little tumultuous. I'm a little bit afraid. Help walk me through that. You know, so we really protect at Somerset that time so that we always have space when someone calls or a cleaning situation goes over the time that we have allotted, that we just kind of celebrate that. We're just glad that we're able to help this person in that during that day. So that's sort of what it means for us. We just really like the inefficiency of relationships because. It doesn't always work in an hour time frame. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it's at night. Whenever it is, that's just the way that we've culturally built our practice.
1: And I love how you've also operationalized that in your firm, it sounds like, that, Mm -hmm. you know, we build in margin for caring about our clients. I mean, what a a novel concept, (laughs) but it sure makes it easy to understand why you've been so successful and Mm -hmm. uh, just so proud to know you and be your friend. Lauren, our most important question, the real question that everybody wants to know, I am certain some of our listeners out there have heard this and some of them are females. They're currently intimidated by money or they don't feel connected to their financial advisor. Or any of those other hosts of things that you've mentioned, how do they get started? Walk us through kind of step by step if they want to plug in with the wealth edit or Somerset. What is the best way for them to take the next steps?
0: Yeah, so I think just looking at, I'm always for trying to mend if you're currently in an advisory relationship. Like the first step may be just to try to mend it. So maybe you join the wealth edit and you build up some good questions and confidence that you can then go to that advisor and feel like you're knowledgeable enough to ask the questions that you need to ask. And you know that you have, you know, a tribe of women behind you being like, yeah, you need to ask that question. It is normal to do that, you know, so just normalizing that. So I'm for that.
1: How do they plug into the Wealth Edit? I know you've mentioned it, but give us the kind of step by step. What website are they going to? What buttons are they clicking?
0: Yeah, so you can go to WealthEdit.com. And then you take a quiz, which is going to lead you to your financial personality. From there, it's an application process. It's not so much we let people in, we don't let people in, but we just want to kind of see how you're thinking about joining the community, what you're planning to contribute, you know, what you're planning to get out of it. So we know how to best align you in the community. Then you join, it's $399 a year. And then from there, you set a call with Emily and I, and it works now that we have all of these women in our community. We're able to meaningfully connect you with other women that may be able to help you and help you access the content in a way that makes sense for you. For some people, they really like the live classes. For some people, they're just super busy and need to listen at night. So we can kind of help you on that track to get the most out of the membership. So that's sort of how you join that's how you join the wealth edit. And, um, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it, just like anything in life, because we always say if people just consume a tiny bit of our content, then they're going to get $400 in value, hopefully three, four, five X that easily. Or in the case of that one woman, you know, whatever that is times a hundred thousand. So that's been, that's been a cool thing. Um, and then for Somerset, like we always just like to be a place where people, feel safe calling and saying, hey, if not Somerset, then who? And we can connect there, too, to see if it's a fit for Somerset. Great. If not, we have some really great partners around the country who we can connect that are going to take fiduciary responsibility and treat you really well. So, And that's just SomersetAdvisory.com.
1: SomersetAdvisory.com and WealthEdit.com. Yes. Lauren, this has just been absolutely wonderful. Really appreciate you coming on. And listeners, we always disclose any financial relationships we have. As of March 2022, we don't have any financial relationships, but I would be shocked knowing how much (laughs) Lauren and I enjoy working together. I would be shocked if we don't have a financial relationship at some point. And certainly we would disclose any of that as you're... Going through materials and whatnot. So, listeners, as always, thank you so much for being here. And I'm going to do a special ask today. I've not done this before, but if there is a female in your life that could absolutely use financial confidence, please, please, please make sure you forward this episode their way. Mm-hmm. We want to get as many people as we can connected to the Wealth Edit. I'm really passionate about this, I think it's so critical. We just wanna see this move forward in such a great way. So Lauren, thanks again for being here.
0: Tommy, thank you so much for having me. Truly, you have been one of, I always tell people, they say, well, how do you know this Tommy? And I say, he's like my pen pal that we met through all of our different connections in the industry. It's fun to grow businesses in the fiduciary space alongside you, so thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc.